Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you were here with us last week, we actually started uh, a new new uh, series, a short series of just a few weeks. Uh, throughout the year, we've going, been going through the overview of the Bible, but then uh, interspersed in that, we've done that in three big sections, and we're between the second and third, we've just done some shorter, little more series, and last week we started one that we just simply entitled, Membership Matters, and what we talked about last week was very literally that church membership being part of a body of believers matters, that it's important, and so this week we're going to continue on in that series, but we're going to look at it a little differently, and that I would say uh, membership matters, but the way we're looking at it this morning is more the matters of membership, what we do as members of the church, and there's some different things that we want to talk about, and so this week and next week what we're going to do is we're going to take the two ordinances, the two things that Christ himself ordained that we are to do as a church, and those two things are baptism and communion. And if you've uh, been here in this church with us, maybe you're visiting today, we actually celebrate communion each and every week here. But baptism we do interspersed is needed, and uh, as we're going to celebrate today, and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about baptism and what it means, and uh, and just look at that picture, and the next week we'll take communion. And when we take the two, we can talk of them like this. In a lot of ways, baptism is the uh, the front door, the, the entrance into the church, the thing that we do is we proclaim that we are with Christ and we're stepping into his body. Whereas communion, in a lot of ways, is, is the family meal. It's the ongoing communion with Christ, and it's something we do over and over. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But as we look at baptism this week, we're going to look at this picture of what it means and what it is. And, and it's a picture of a lot of ways of, of what happens when we decide to follow Christ. And to do that, and to really flesh that out this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and if, if you're using a Bible like this one, a few Bibles that we use, that's actually on page 612 if you want to follow along. If, if, uh, by the way, I, I try to say this every week, but sometimes I forget. If you don't have a Bible, uh, maybe you just don't have one at all, or, or you forgot it or whatever, uh, we would love for you to take one of these if you need one and read it and use it, and that's, that's why they're there. And so we're going to be in Romans 6 verses 1 through 14, but before we even jump into that verse, we need to set the scene a little bit, uh, since we've been going through a big series and then we stop and we go into this, Romans is a very well-reasoned argument, right? Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he wrote it to the church in Rome, and he goes through just this meticulous argument of who we are in Christ and all these things and what it means, and so if we jump right into 6 with at least just setting the scene a little bit, sometimes we need, to, we need to have the background because of the way he goes from one to the next. So let me give you Romans 1 through 5 in about 30 seconds before we look at Romans 6. And we can really say it goes like this, really Romans uh, 1, 2, and then the first half of 3 is simply that we are all sinners that we all stand before a holy, just God as sinners, and it doesn't matter if we're religious or irreligious or where we grew up or if we try to keep God's law or we haven't tried to keep God's law. It doesn't really matter. All of us are in the same boat, and that is that we're sinners. And we're separated from God because of our sin. And Paul just clearly goes through that. He even says in Romans chapter 3, no one seeks God, no, not one. That we don't see, and in our sin, we don't seek Him, and we're just a mess. And so that's all of us. That's all of us, no matter where we come from or where we've been. It doesn't matter how religious we try to be before becoming a Christian. That's, that's all of us. But then, fortunately, he gets to the second half of chapter 3, and he says, yes, God has come down, and he's done what we can't do for us in Jesus. 
He's made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And we can't do it, but Christ has to do it for us. And it's by faith alone and what Jesus does for us that we can ever be saved. And then he gets to chapter 4 and he says, and by the way, it's always been this way. And he starts to talk about Abraham. He says, even Abraham was saved by faith. He trusted God about what he was going to do. And so by faith, Abraham saved. And then he gets to chapter 5 and he says, we're all sinners. We're all humans. We've all come from the same source, Adam's sin, and so we're all sinners, and it's been passed down to each one of us. We're born into sin, and then we make it actual, and we actually sin, and that's all of us we do. And so he gets to this whole picture, and he paints it so clearly, and then he gets to five, and he makes this, this, uh, this uh, comparison between Adam and Christ, and he says, but in Christ he can undo the work that's come all the way down through Adam, that his sacrifice is sufficient. And so he just clearly lays out that we are saved by faith alone and what Christ has done for us in those first five chapters. But then he gets to six. We're not saved by our works. It's not what we do. And so there's this objection that Paul sees rising. So he goes ahead and asks, asks the question and then answers it himself. And he says, well, what shall we say then? Do we sin? Do we just go on sinning since it's all by grace? And he says, no way. And so that's, that's where we are in Romans 6. And he starts to explain who we were and now who we are in Christ. And it's this wonderful, beautiful picture. And it actually points a wonderful picture of baptism. It points a wonderful picture of what happens to us when we become a Christian, but also the symbolism that is baptism that we're going to celebrate this morning. And so with that, let's go ahead and read Romans 6, 1 to 14 together. And then we'll, we'll jump in and look at that beautiful picture. So Romans Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Shall, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For we, have, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for us. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to to obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at that passage together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you for how clear and concise that you just have inspired it for us the way it shows us that it's all Christ doing for us. We pray this morning that as we contemplate the beauty of what you've done for us and the beauty of the picture of baptism that you would just impress, impress on our hearts anew uh, the wonderful miracle that takes place when we are in you and we put our faith in you. And so we just ask this morning that your spirit move in this place and you open our eyes to see the truth of your word and you 
you uh, open our hearts to apply it. And, uh, we just pray this morning that uh, we would just be uh, in love with you and, and excited about who you are and make much about you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three things when we talk about becoming a Christian, and that's what we're looking about. What happens when we become a Christian and we become united with Christ? And we're going to say this rural simply this morning, and then go through and just kind of uh, unpack what this means. But first, to be a Christian means we die. Second, we are raised. And third, we're new. We're new. So we, we die, and then we're raised, and then we're new. And that's about as simple as we can get, but we really need to consider what that, what that means. So when we become a Christian, the Bible tells us that we are united with Christ, we're united with Christ, and because of what he's done, we're, we're restored in our relationship with God. And so the first thing that happens when we're united with Christ is we are united in his death with him. Uh, and so this picture of being united with Christ, we actually see uh, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that um, by, by God's doing, you are now in Christ Jesus. Uh, he goes on to tell us that uh, in Jesus, that Jesus has been made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. And that's all throughout Scripture, that, that picture of being in Christ and abiding in Christ and Him and you. And that, that picture of being united. And so when we're united, that means we're united in his death. And so we talk about this idea of dying with Christ and how when we do that, God's counting Christ's death for us in that being united with him. And so so we die with Christ. And, and as you see the way Paul writes, you don't have to be a biblical scholar yet. I mean, I'm not the brightest person in the world, but I can see as I read through uh, Romans 6 that Paul's trying to emphasize something here about death. If you just look how many times and how many ways he says it, even in just a few verses here, look at verse 1, uh, for we to continue in sin that, they, that grace may abound, he says, by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or verse 3, do you, know not, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. Or verse 4, he says it again, he just keeps going, we were buried therefore with baptism baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too. And so he, he just keeps going. Verse 6, he says it again. You know that your old self was crucified with him. Again, it's been killed. It's been put to death. Uh, look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free. Or verse 11, you get down and he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And as you just start to read through this passage, just over and over and over again, you get that we've died with Christ and we're dead and we've been crucified and we've been set free and dead to sin. And all this death and dying is just over and over. And so the first part we talk about is becoming a Christian means we, we die. And so... We die united with Christ, and that may seem a little bit strange. Sure, there's a lot of talk about death and being united in his death. And, and so I just want us to consider why so much talk about death, why all these pictures and all these things about dying and, and over and over and saying it so much. And so I want us just to think big picture, the, the fact of a sinful world, the world we live in, death is inevitable. We're going to die. And when we think big picture, if you've been with us, if we've been walking through Scripture, the reason that is, is we have decided to reject the way God has set this world up. From the very first humans, from Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, they decided to ignore God and the world he created. And what Scripture tells us is the wages of sin is death. Sin being ignoring God and the world he created. 
And so when we ignore him and his world, uh, sin enters into the picture. Uh, If you look up with me, just a few verses up, in chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says it very clearly this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. There it is, laid out as clearly as you can. All men die because all have sinned. Death is the wages of sin. And so when we talk about that and we start to think about that, our world and what's going on and the things that are wrong, it's due to sin entering the world. Sin is the unraveling of God's creation because we're now ignoring the way he set it up and the way it runs. Paul will say later in just a couple of uh, chapters in in chapter 8 that that all of creation is under the bondage of corruption and it's it's being in the weight of sin. And you get this picture of all the hardships and all the things and all the stuff that's going on and how it's accredited to our sin. Are ignoring God and his world and things are out of kilter and, and not working quite the way they should because we've decided that we know better than God. We've decided to ignore him and his world and we know better. Uh, Billy Graham famously said once that we live and we suffer and we die, but there's a loophole. And that's what we believe as Christians, that we're all destined for death apart from Christ. And what uh, Dr. Graham was talking about is that uh, the wages of sin is death, but yet God has provided a way to deal with our sin for us. He, he provided a loophole on the way to get through with that. And so each one of us, no matter who we are, has a, uh, a decision to make in our life. Either I am going to deal with my sin and the result of death that comes with it on my own, or I'm going to let God do it for me in Jesus Christ. And we have that, uh, that question that we have to answer in our own lives. Are we going to take it ourselves, or are we going to allow God to take it? See, as a Christian, we believe that God's remedy is only through Jesus Christ, and there's no other way. This is the way God has provided the loophole, the way to escape the wages of sin, which is death. And God made that way for us, and he offers that. You know, John 3 says so clearly, says it so succinctly at the end of John chapter 3. And John writes in verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That is, they escape the wages of their sin, that death, that they now have eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so what John's saying, what Scripture tells us, that is apart from Christ, that we will stand before a holy God full of sin, infused all in us, and rebellion and all those things, and that we will have to stand before a holy God and His justice will be poured out in His wrath. Or, we can take the loophole that God has provided in Christ, and we move, and we put our faith in Him. And so that picture is so clear in John 3. And if we choose not to, we reject who Christ is. The picture of who we are before God, apart from Christ, is a very ugly picture in Scripture. Uh, it tells us things like that we are slaves to sin, we are dead in our sin, the wages of sin of death, the sting of death is because of our sin. And it just paints this picture of who we are apart from Christ and standing before a holy God, and we can just say it simply we're lost. We can't be restored to the relationship we were made for, that relationship to be uh, in perfect union with God and, 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 and in His presence. 
because our sin and all those things pile on and we can't be. But yet, God has, has united us when we become a Christian. He counts Christ's work for us, and that means we're united in his death. And he takes that for us, and we start to see that. We get the benefit of Christ's work for us when we're united with him. And we start to see that if you look in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That is, his death, we're united now, and his death counts for us. Or look at verses 6 and 7, because it tells us as his death is counted for us, what happens and it tells us what happens in verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So when we're united with Christ in his death and God counts that, that sin is taken away and done because of what Christ does for us. And so when we start to think about that picture uh, oftentimes what pops up or what comes to mind is, well, why did Christ have to die? Why like this? Why did God have to do it this way? And the reason that there had to be a sacrifice made and Christ had to come and take our place and God opened up this way in which we could be saved is because we can't do it. We can never do enough, so God provides for us what we can never do, and that is perfection. See, Jesus comes and lives the perfect life and does for us. Notice what it says in verse 5, and I want you to catch this, this is so important. For we've been united in a death like his, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I want you to think about that for a moment, a death like his. Right? Our death is not the same as Christ's death if we're apart from him. A death like his in the fifth, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ had no sin. He was perfect. He didn't deserve death. And so when we talk about Jesus' death and how it's like that, Jesus' death was because of our sin, not his own. Any one of us, our dying, our death would be because of our own sin. Every one of us is a sinner before God. We've decided to ignore him at different points, except for Jesus. And so when we consider what happened in Christ's death, he came and took our sin on him for us. So he died for sin that wasn't his own what the sacrifice is, and he comes. If you were with us uh, this past year on Good Friday, as I know some of you were, we watched a presentation and we listened to a wonderful retelling of what happened on the cross. So the pastor, uh, his name is Rick Gamash, he's a Sovereign Grace Ministry pastor, and it's an excellent graphic uh, retelling, a story of what cross, and he told so well what actually happened as the sky dark, Jesus hung on the cross, you know, halfway through the the crucifixion, the sky darkens, and every there's earthquakes and all these things happening, and, and, and you see this picture, and he says it like this, and I want us just to stop and think for a second, what really happens when we say we're united in Christ's death, and what took place in his death, because oftentimes we say that in Christian circles and we flippantly throw it out there, but he says this so well, and so as he told, tells the story of what happened, he says it this way, and then Jesus is startled by a foul odor. So he's hanging on the cross, and Jesus is startled, and it isn't the stench of open wounds, it's something else, and it crawls inside of him. And he looks up to his father, and his father looks back, but Jesus doesn't recognize these eyes. They pierce the invisible world with fire and darken the visible sky, and Jesus feels dirty. He hangs between earth and heaven, 
filthy with human discharge on the outside, and now filthy with human wickedness on the inside. The Father speaks, Son of man, why have you sinned against me and heaped scorn on my great glory? You are self-sufficient and self-righteous, consumed with yourself and puffed up and selfishly ambitious. You rob me of my glory and you worship what's inside of you instead of looking to the one who created you. And then he goes on to a list of all the sins that God is now pouring out his wrath on Christ as adulterer and gossip and liar and conceited and lustful and murderous and lukewarm and obscene and lazy as Christ takes the wrath of God for yours and my sins, not his own. And he gets to the end of this wonderful retelling and he says it like this. The list of your sins goes on and on and on and on, and I hate these things inside of you, and I am filled with disgust and indignation for your sin consumes me. Now drink my cup. And Jesus does. He drinks for hours. He downs every drop of the scalding liquid of God's hatred of sin, mingled with the white hot wrath against that sin. This is the Father's cup omnipotent hatred and anger for the sins of every generation, past, present, and future. Omnipotent wrath directed at one naked man hanging on the cross. The Father can no longer look at his beloved Son, his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself. He looks away. Jesus pushes himself upward and howls to heaven, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is silence. When Christ goes to the cross, he goes for your sin and mine, not his own. And what he took was not just the physical death of the cross, as awful as that was, but he was cut off from the Father, the perfect relationship from all history. And he did that so he could purchase your and my salvation. And so we get this picture here as we get to what Paul's talking about, about being united in Christ's death and what happens. And what happens is, we think about this, is that Christ did for us. And so when we talk about the Christian life and what it means and where it begins, we begin with, we die. But thankfully and graciously and wonderfully, instead of our death, Christ does for us. And so when we begin to paint this picture of what Paul's saying, this wonderful great news is that we've been united in his death and he's dealt with the problem so we don't have to die. And so the first part is we die. But then the second part, the good news because of what Christ has done is that we rise with him. There's resurrection. And we don't stay in, in the grave. We don't Christ because he doesn't stay in the grave. Right? Resurrection. When Jesus Christ raised from the dead, God was saying, I accept your sacrifice. It's accepted for all mankind, those that would come and put their faith in you. It is now accepted. And so when we say it's the wages of sin is death, and what Paul will say at the end of the chapter, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's resurrection. It's not just that we die, it's that we're raised with him. Resurrection is the power that now Christ has defeated death. It no longer has dominion over us. Look at what Paul says. He makes all these points here over and over. Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we are no longer enslaved 
to sin. It's done away with. And the old self has died. And that's why Paul can say in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. Because he's risen, and it's a new life, and there's resurrection with him. And so we see this beautiful, wonderful picture. That's why Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And so what we get is we have a whole new orientation. We have a whole new way of coming and looking at everything. Before, we were dead in our sins. We were slaves to sin. We were enemies of God. No one seeks righteousness. And now that that sin has no, uh, no power over us because of what Christ has done. Look at what verse 11 says. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, before we're self-centered, ignoring God, our world revolves around us, and it's about me and what I do, which oftentimes leads us to work-based righteousness, about and then God will accept me. That's all self-centered. Sure. When you die and you're risen with Christ, you're now, your uh, orientation completely changes from God-centered, I mean, from me-centered to God-centered. And that's what he's telling us in verse 11, we're now alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so that leads us to the last part. Right? We die, and then we're raised, and we have a new orientation, and then that leads us to that we are now new. We're new creations. Look at the second half of verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life because we're new creations. The sin has been dealt with. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're completely made new. Look at verse Six, it says it again, that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. Or verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So we're united with Christ in his death, and he does away with all the, the wrath and all the things that go with death, and he pays it, and we are set free from that. We're new. We have a completely new way of, of dealing with God and coming to him and a new way of operating in his world. Look at verses 12 and 13 and 14. Now that we're new, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. So we are no longer slaves to sin and we have a completely new life and a new focus and a new way to go and a new way to glorify and honor God because of what Christ has done for us. Now I want to make one uh, just observation here before we move on. That doesn't mean that when we become a Christian we're, we're now perfect in all our works for the rest of our life. All you have to do is meet a Christian to know that. <laughs> we can all attest to that. We've all stumbled and made mistakes and, and been frustrated and, and we make steps back. Uh, you even see that here in this text because are we to continue in sin in verse 1 that grace may abound? Or in verse 2, uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And what we get is this picture of ongoing sin and just uh, not regard to God and, and not caring about trying to walk after Him and let Him work in our lives. And Paul says you can't do that. That you're to be taking each uh, thought captive and striving towards walking after Him in everything and in all ways. But when you fall, when there's times that you stumble or you have different things, God's grace is sufficient 
Because remember, Paul's whole argument is a big thing. You are saved by faith alone and what Christ has done for you, not your works. And so we get this picture that even though we stumble and we make mistakes, but I want you to see the picture that's here. Even though that happens sometimes, and even though temptation rises up and sin is whispering in your ear, oh, you can do this and it's not that bad and it's not whatever, well, you can turn and you can say what it says in verse 14, sin has no dominion over you. You'd have no power over me anymore because of what Christ's done, and I am a new creation, and I am walking in newness of life, and I'm going after him, and I'm following him, and that's what it means to be a Christian now, that we're going to seek to follow him in all things and in everything we do. And so that's the picture that emerges, and it's a beautiful picture of what it means to be a Christian, that we die to our old ways, and we're raised with Christ because of what he's done for us, and now we're walking in a totally new orientation that is God-centered because of what Christ has done for us. And so we get to the end this morning as we think about baptism and what we're going to do in just a minute as we celebrate baptism with Laura, because we just want to think about this picture that Paul spells out here and what it is and why we do baptism. And first and foremost, just let me say, the reason that we do baptism is because Jesus commanded it. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've told you. And so Jesus tells us, you do this. I want you to do this. When you become a Christian, you do this. And so it's a picture that, that God has ordained. And it's a wonderful picture of what we're to do and what, what's happening inwardly. It's a visible picture and outward signs of what's happening inside of us spiritually. And so that's, what we, that's why we do it. So let me just make one more clarification before we just talk about the connections here, and then we'll be done. Just so we're clear, baptism does not save you. Does not save you. There's not some magical thing that happens in the water when you climb in and now I get some grace or now God's acting or not. No, that's not what happens. That's not what the Bible says. Actually, Peter says the exact opposite. It's not the washing of water. It's a good conscience. It's what happens inwardly through faith that saves you, what Christ has done for you. And so what we consider then, so what is it? Well, it's a picture. It's a visible picture, visible words, just like communion is when we come to the table. It's visible words of what Christ has done for us, and that's the picture. And if you haven't got just when we, we do this, just let me make the connection as clear as I can. When we go into the water and Laura is baptized, and we, you have shared, you're united in a death like Christ, and you died to your water, and you say you've been raised in a resurrection like this to walk in newness of life. It's a visible picture of what happens inwardly you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we get together today and we celebrate this, maybe you've been baptized many years ago or maybe it's been a while, I want you to feel afresh what we're talking about, what Jesus has done for us and the celebration and the that, that he's called his child, and as we celebrate with Laura, that she's going to come and make known that she wants to follow Christ the rest of her life. I'm dead to the old ways of my sin, and I'm walking because of what Jesus has done for me. And so as we do this, it is a celebration. It is so exciting and so wonderful that we want to celebrate it together as a body, because this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Am I going to take and deal with my sins myself, or am I going to let Jesus do it? And so we celebrate that this morning, and no matter where you are, just ask that you, you ask God to impress new upon
on your heart as we celebrate this in just a few moments. So let's pray, and then we're going to take our offering, and we'll do communion, and then we're going to end with our celebration of baptism this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful picture that you've provided us with. We thank you, more importantly, for what the picture points to, that you were willing to come and, and deal with our sin and take it upon yourself and do what we can't do for us. And so we just praise your name and we thank you. Uh, we just say uh, we can never thank you enough. We pray this morning that this would just be a wonderful celebration and a wonderful time together of making much of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.